environment. everybody welcome to the air environment podcast she's the environmental scientist and he's the urban pastor uh, and uh, today we are talking about uh really a continued conversation on our last episode so uh you can join the conversation on the air environment channel on our discord channel which is on the jackson cloud discord channel as uh the Air Environment is one of the podcasts we run out of the Jackson Cloud. Um, but uh, today we're going to be, as I said, continue the conversation on our previous book that we recently read. It was Michael Schellenberger's uh, Apocalypse and Never. Did I say everything right yes. there? Excellent. Okay. So we read through this book. It was a great book. Uh, and now we are continuing some of the conversation, especially diving into the last chapter of that book, which was kind of like uh, Schellenberger, who's not a Christian, starts talking about uh, kind of how like modern environmental drive has in some ways become a religion. And we thought that that would feed our typical conversations of environment and religion here on the air environment. So I'll turn it over to Aaron to kind of take us deeper into that and then we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, so the last chapter of the book, before the epilogue, it's called uh, False Gods for Lost Souls. And I saw that chapter title at the beginning, and I was like, I cannot wait to get to this. Um, but the book is so very dense, and it's really hard <laughs> to like absorb everything that it's saying. So in a way, it's better that there's been some time since when we read the book, and then when we're talking about this particular chapter... So things can sink in, and then also I'm trying to reread it, and it's just as dense the second time as it is the first time, just so everybody knows. Um, but he goes into talking about how, like, a lot of people who are, like, really far left-leaning, who are awful atheistic, are uh, extreme environmentalists. And I thought that was really interesting to talk about, um, almost that they had, like, replaced a religion with another form that's backed. He goes into specifics where it's almost like religion, but it's backed now by like scientific thought and scientists have taken the places like what, what a like priest would have taken. Um, and I'm just realizing how much I hate the fact that I have this on my Kindle because I can't like flip directly to where things are bookmarked because I have over 200 bookmarks in this book on my Kindle and I tried to find it and I was like, no, I'm not not about that life, but um, sorry, That's my shot just walked in here, looked around, and walked back out. I don't need an explanation. I'm podcasting. <laughs> it's just very confusing. Hi, shot. Jamin says hi. He left. All right. Random Sorry. greetings to your husband in the middle of the podcast. Soon we shall random greet my daughter, who will walk down any moment. Good old. Uh, <laughs> quarantine style podcasts <laughs> right uh yeah so he talks about um 
there's a quote in this book where it talks about like what the, he defines religion as in the context of his example in the book. And it's the belief in an unseen order and that our supreme good lies in adjusting ourselves there too. Um, and then also more broadly includes belief systems and moral frameworks. And for environmentalists, the unseen order we need to adjust ourselves to is nature. So the whole, there's like a theme throughout this book where nature is like put up on a pedestal and we're like, this is the apex of what humanity can create, which on some level I kind of agree with because God created nature and I can't create things better than that. But also on another level, we tend to put things that like uh, natural things, like when, when we were talking last time about that tortoise shell that people were going out and killing all those tortoises and the invention of plastic actually saved a species um, and like organic fertilizer, fertilizer, wood fuel, like solar farms. They say these are better for people and the environment than like artificial things like plastics or farm fish or like nuclear plants. Um, so I, that, that I just thought that was really interesting because it is almost like a form of idolatry. Like we put this thing on a pedestal and we're like, this is the apex, like it's better. And you just put it before everything else and you're not really thinking about anything else in your life for it. Yeah. Now I know we dived into a little bit of overlapping themes in the last episode, but mm -hmm. I've seen that for a long time where science or environmentalism in itself, rather than become something that's subjected to our Christian religion of God put us here. He put us in charge of this planet. We are to take care of it. We are to mold it to look like Eden. We can eventually find ourselves worshiping the environment. And that's what, that's what idolatry is. You know, it's always yeah. taking, taking something that was created and then viewing it as important as the creator and elevating it to a place where it shouldn't be instead of subjecting it within a natural scheme of where God meant for it to be. It's, disorder more or less so when environment yeah. becomes your god eventually you get and i he had a great quote in there and i will butcher it as i try to paraphrase it but it was essentially like uh that environment environmentalism has become such a negative thing and it's nothing about like talk of the kingdom of heaven or yes i actually i took a picture of that quote i'm pretty sure uh, yeah. uh, there are a couple of things that I was like, I must take a picture of this. Yeah, you know, with yeah, negativity has triumphed over positivity in the place of love, forgiveness, kindness, and the kingdom of heaven. Today's apocalyptic environmentalism offers fear, anger, and the narrow prospects of avoiding extinction. Mm -hmm. And that's even like a a good critique for Christianity itself because we often get caught in this negative rut where we're no longer mm -hmm. focused on some of these good things as well. And again, it's just kind of like when things get out of order, what's the vision we're painting? Most people have painted a picture of the gospel as one day everything will burn and God wants right. that. Whereas, whereas the gospel, the good news is not the negative idea. Even even judgment, which feels negative, is actually like a positive thing where all of your worries, all of the problems, everything that makes you cry will be dealt with. And there will only be beautiful, good utopia of order left, you know? So like, even that is a, a positive 
portrait, even though that's a portrait that makes us nervous often when we talk about it thematically. So, yeah. And even, um, like even if we remove environmentalism from that, like it is a knee jerk reaction sometimes as a Christian to immediately just be like, the end is nigh. And <laughs> not necessarily yeah. that I mostly just want to say the end is nigh, but it's definitely, there's a reaction to us being like, Oh, this person's the antichrist or like, this is like, we're all going to like, it's all going to be doom and gloom. And like all of this is happening because the end times are coming. Like it's a lot of, for like people who are supposed to be hopeful, loving, there are a lot of conversations more than I ever thought I would have around the end times um, mm -hmm. with Christians. And in both camps, I mean, environmentalism. Oh yeah. That's become almost the focus of recent conversations is the end is nigh. And if we don't, if we don't save the world, we will all die with it. You know? So. Yeah. And there's this sort of like, and he says so in the book, like there's this assumption that um, nature is this all like perfect being almost like it's like a Christ-like figure for non-religious people. Like nature, when left alone, it achieves some sort of like harmony or equilibrium. Like it's perfect if we don't touch it, um, which isn't necessarily a hundred percent true. Like nature itself isn't one system. It's a bunch of, systems and there's a whole mix of things that are involved in making a habitat it's like what i would say before it's like a forest isn't just a forest there's like a lot of things that go into making that function um like tropic trophic cascading is a thing and it's definitely an issue but it's not like the only thing um that's why general species exist because when the specific ones are pushed out like the generalist ones can take up their place in that niche yeah I wonder if, like, I mean, who who were the people with Gaia? Would that have been the Greeks? Yeah, that sounds very God of yeah. War. <laughs> well, I wonder if, like, if, let's say, the Greeks came back to life and walked in sure. and saw the way that we talked about this today. Would they themselves think of it in a light of, like, uh, oh, you guys worship Gaia type thing? You know, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. You're concerned for making sure that the planet this godlike being itself is is taken care of you know would they see it as that as opposed to us subjecting the earth to the good care of god as we take care of it as god would uh, or would they see it as like we've elevated the earth to like a a deity itself right i mean as human beings we just naturally anthropomorphize like things that way we can relate to them better like Nature does have like almost a Gaia figure in modern like history and we refer to it as Mother Earth. So it is like like we do we do have kind of like a uh, a goddess type figure that we would look that we've looked at. I mean today I mentioned Mother Earth in a text to one of my friends because uh, apparently it was snowing in Michigan yesterday and I was upset about that. Still is, man. I need it to not be doing that. It needed it's supposed to be, to be like warm soon, but not right now. Anyway, yeah, well, the point I was just saying, oh, yes, we must tell Mother Earth to stop this. Like, I'm obviously not, like, worshipping her, but we just naturally do those things. Mm -hmm. um, it's just human nature, I suppose. We're just looking for, even when we remove ourselves from Judeo-Christian 
beliefs and religion, we just naturally want those same systems in place. Um, or just religion in general. We just want those systems in place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, well that's, that's... I've got some feedback again in my ears. Do you hear me cycling? No. Then I'll let you talk till it goes away. Oh, it just went away. <laughs> this time, every time I acknowledge it, it goes away. It's like the that light experiment, like is light a particle or a wavelength? It depends on if we're observing it or not. You know, oh, like light, yeah. is, light is like conscious of us observing it. <laughs> like Anytime I mention that, my a... voice is going through. It goes away as I was like, he's caught us. There's Sorry, that continue. concept in nature also, like is an animal being observed different because of simply because it's being observed? Yeah. That you're the variable affecting it. Yeah. If a forest, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to hear it, does it make a sound? <laughs> Olivia commented. She heard it too. So, all right, Olivia. So I don't have to interrupt the flow. If you hear it cycling again, comment. So it sees that you heard it and it goes away. Um, oh, there it was. I'm back. I'm back. There's the cycling. Oh, all right, Aaron. maybe it's Over just here. my phone touching all of these cords. Um, maybe you're the scientist. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, some, and it's not this idea that we have imposed like religion onto science is not um, an unconscious thing. Some people do recognize that, that they do it. So they talk about it and, um, like in the book, it says some ecological scientists recognize that they had inadvertently and unconsciously imposed a fundamentally religious idea into science. I am convinced that modern ecological theory, so important in our attitudes towards nature and man's interference with it, admitted one, owes its origin to the Judeo-Christian intelligent design argument. The wisdom of the creator is self-evident. No living thing is useless and all are related to one another. So that is very much a um, conservationist point of view. We don't, we don't want to like, like the, we were. I was in a meeting today, and we we're just talking about it, and we we're like, no plant left behind. Like every, every part of an ecosystem is important, and like everything matters, and nothing, like nothing is useless. Everything fulfills this important ecological niche. And when you talk to conservationists, and they're talking about like a flower or an animal or some sort of vert invertebrate and it's almost like having a religious experience when they're so passionate about whatever it is they're talking about yeah and i i think sometimes that just becomes the disconnect between um focusing on the thing itself and turning that into the god or you know allowing that to be again subject subjected to god and therefore leading us to to him so for example i've got so much cycle it's hard to talk when i'm cycling in my own ears um for example you know somebody sees the tree for mm -hmm. me the tree leads me towards god to worship him because it's such a beautiful thing and i i'm looking at the creator behind it you know whereas someone else sees the tree and it can become like a, uh this here is all that you know this is all important my focus is on this tree and i need to lift it up and make it everything that 
you know, my life revolves around this tree and making this tree safe rather than so on and so forth. Anyways, I'm the cycling stopped, but it threw me off. So if any of that didn't make sense, just ignore it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm really sorry about um, your headset because I'm not hearing anything, but it sounds like everybody else is. And that is uh, sad. Um, so when we're talking about like environmentalism today, and I mentioned earlier that like it does have a similar structure, so it 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 it's like it, it is a religion of sorts for the educated upper middle class, like elite atheists in mostly developing nations. So, um, like it's it it very much has like the same structures that we would expect. Like it has good guys and bad guys there's heroes and villains and it what and what it does is it uses the language of science and that provides it with legitimacy so this idea because it's backed by fact i i don't know why i just did that i you know that means not fact when you do that right? i know that's why i said i don't know why i just did that I am tired. You're, you're Joey Tribbianiing it. It's not working out for you. And when you say I'm a person, anyway, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so when we back it with fact, it adds legitimacy to it when a lot of times people use facts to delegitimize religion, and, th- and this is the opposite effect. So it, uh, it provides this like difference and it appears to be a break from like a religious tradition. But in fact, it's not like if, if it just, (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. Like environmentalists reject like religion, but, and they also reject that the view that humans have or should have dominion or control over the earth. However, we've discussed in like this, like podcasts where that's not necessarily like dominion does not mean take it and change it. It means take care of it. Like we care for the planet. So it's not a, it's not a difference of thought. It's just semantics basically at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we use dominion. We just think dominate, like I get to dominate this whole thing. Whereas dominion is more like you're at the top of command now take care of what's been subjected underneath you so yeah and yeah that's true so so i i I interpret that as like we we care for things not necessarily that i am going to beat it into submission can you imagine me out there beating on a break glass you be good grass um (laughs) i'm sorry everyone my brain is everywhere today um there's also a similar like hierarchy and structure with it where um, we have like priests, like I was saying, interpreting God's will and law. Uh, this form of environmentalist, he, he terms it apocalyptic environmentalist tradition, which I really like that phrase. Because it definitely, because if we're talking about it in a religious context, we have to talk about it in a tradition, traditional context. So I like that, that it's like in this type of religion, the tradition is that scientists will play the role of um, interpreting the nature's will 
or their laws. It's like, I want you to listen to the scientists, which I do want you to listen to the scientists. But, like, it is interesting how they've taken this, like, oh, listen to the facts. But when we go through this book, a lot of the facts are misconstrued. So you actually have to do what I spent two episodes doing is explaining how you need to do the digging. Hmm. That actually, go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say, and that applies to religion. (laughs) Like, you can't just, you have to do the work. Yeah. Yeah, I think as I was going through chapter 12 this morning, one of the things that kept sticking out to me is the fact that most of the, not most, a lot of the things that this guy has to say is contrary to popular teaching from scientific Mm -hmm. communities, but he's got the facts to prove that he's saying what he's saying is backed up his stats and everything like that. And I think when I like, because I was thinking of it in in the line of Christianity itself, this is what I run into in, in church too, is that, if you were to go church to church, there's this message that everyone's consistently preaching that the Bible itself isn't typically saying, in the at least in the same way that as being preached. That if you were to actually go to, you know, the scriptures itself, the facts, if you will, and look at it, or even more so, go to the scholars who are the ones really studying this and trying to teach it you would find something that's not contrary to what's spoken in churches, but very different. Uh, in, in some cases, you may not even recognize the Bible at all, you know? So it's like, but then the scholars come with the footnotes and they come with the evidence and they come with with deep research and archaeology and all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and the, uh, um, the pastors or your news outlets, I guess, don't always see all that stuff and they just turn it into like quick headlines in the Sunday service and turn it into something that it's all about that soundbite, man. Yeah. Yeah. And sound bites these days, like are in the church are mostly just Yoda isms anyways, you know, it's just (laughs) say things backwards and suddenly they sound, you know, I'm trying to think of like literally any example and nothing's coming to me, but you know, you just, yeah. you turn the word around. Is it mountain dew or is it the dew of the mountains? Oh yeah. Think about that. You know, it's like, that sounds very deep though. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the Yoda isms. Mm, yeah. Do or do not, you know? Um, right. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I was just analyzing it. He's almost got, I guess if I was sticking with the church analogies, it's almost more like in the scientific community, that prophetic edge where somebody comes along, they're saying something that's unpopular. Nobody wants to hear it. It doesn't match what they're used to hearing. Doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if there's evidence that says otherwise. Um, They just want you to shut up. And if you say it loud enough, they'll slander you or destroy your message. So no one will listen to you anymore. And uh, that, right. That's difficult, I think, for a lot of us who aren't in the scientific community, because when we hear someone come along and start saying these things, we're like, I thought it, I was being, you know, <laughs> like, I'm not a yeah. scientist. It's the same with pastors, though. Pastors, you taught me this thing, and that's what not what the theologians are saying. What, What's going on? You know, and so you run into that difficulty on both sides, I think. 
Definitely. It's definitely people saying incorrect things confidently is one of the problems. And another is after a while, it like we hearsay or like easy to digest. This is why I have like half of the reason I did that um, resident scientist thing when you and I both, I did that segment on the radio is because I don't like pop science because it just gives you scientific concepts just enough for you to say, hey, fun fact, but not enough for you to explain why that fact is so fun. Um, and I like doing, putting in the time, putting in the work. And I had uh, friends who would say things to me when I got my master's degree, very confidently say things to me about the industry. And then I would start working in it and I, it was wrong. Like I asked questions like, oh, why don't we start like, re like rebuilding forests here or or like reinvigorating habitats they're like well that's too difficult and nobody would do that but actually there are government subsidies and like whole charities where that's all they do so it's just people don't put in the work and they just make assumptions and it's i understand it's hard it's really hard to put on the work and even i messed up some places and i put in a lot of work and i think I think what it comes down to is like, are we capable of humbling ourselves before knowledge and changing our, like, I've been really struggling with this lately is that I really like to think about things. I really like to uh, digest information. I like that my opinion can change when I'm like given with new thought. And a lot of people don't like that. And in some ways what I do is, crazy and maybe a little unstable and <laughs> and people who are consistent is probably better um but i just think as human beings we should be able to grow and absorb knowledge and this like this book has definitely changed the way i think about facts and how i absorb them even more so than i used to um and then you suggested a book for me a couple of weeks ago and i'm like i'm still working on this but i definitely want to get into that one some sometime in the future blah 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 um i don't know <laughs> sandra richter great book i think i watched her series video series so i i imagine the book is great since i heard but you know hers is a good view of like environment subjected to god while looking at the facts and just like this book she got into a lot of kind of like social justice issues because that's where environmental problems often often lead. Um, but yeah, I'm sidetracking us. Continue. Oh, no, that was... I, I kind of like got excited about my point and then lost my point. You know how when your brain moves faster than your mouth does? Um, <laughs> which All is what happened. Time. All the time. Yeah, well, uh, I think he... Interesting, go, go. all the parallels between it. It's just overwhelming. Yeah, there was a point he made somewhere in light of what you were just saying. Something about, I think he was talking about nuclear energy or something where someone was like, well, that's not, uh, nuclear energy is bad. And this was like a scientist, if I remember right, who said that. And yeah, he was like, well, have you looked into that for yourself? I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, well, you should look into it. And they like, Right. I do some research like, oh, nuclear science is good. <laughs> I just hadn't hadn't had that. I just went with what someone told me instead of looking for it myself, which, again, across the analogy, it'd be good for us in the church not to just hear what mm -hmm. we hear on Sundays, but 
to then do the research ourselves, recognizing we very well may not have something that connects with what we were told. I like, I've got one person at church who every time I run into them likes to tell me they disagree with much of what I say. And like, <laughs> for me, it's like, I, I don't expect you to agree with everything I say, like do the research yourself. Right. If it ends up that like I, you, you can find something that proves me differently. Go with it, you know, follow wherever the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. But, uh, you don't have to go with every last thing that I say. Likewise, when I mention a book in my preaching, someone would be like, I'm kind of surprised you read that. You don't sound much like that person. I'm like, I, I, I don't agree with every statement of every book I've ever read like that. Yeah. Then Incredibly. my whole library would collapse because they all contradict each other, you know? Like, right. this is just part of how it works if you want to study something you have to study different you viewpoints. it requires you to understand both sides of the argument yeah there there are literally books in christianity that all they are is like here's the uh, five views of this thing in 200 pages you know like that doesn't make the book not work it's explaining <laughs> the different ways you can go with different verses right. and that's science. like we spent like what like seven or eight episodes just explaining how people think the earth was created like yeah. If I thought all of those were correct, my head would explode. Yeah, because there's <laughs> plenty of different theories as to... Even on the Jackson Cloud this morning, our episode was on uh, Noah's Flood. And a lot of people are like, it either happened or didn't happen. You know, right. For us, it's like, well, there's actually middle ground here as well. There are many. Uh, like, I, yeah, I, have a, I have had an insane day at work, but... There are many interpretations of that passage, like, oh, it was localized, or there yeah. like specific things. Yeah, it's definitely localized it's not, with theological yeah. embellishment or yeah. polemical nature of fighting against the flood stories other people had that told different stories, right. you know, like Gilgamesh. He's a giant. Gilgamesh is yeah, Noah. Yeah, because you did that whole ep episode on the Nephilim. And, yeah, yeah, but Gilgamesh, like in their story, he is a giant. And he's the one who, who's on the ark, you know? Whereas, like, the Bible story is like, no, it was the human who survived, you know? So, like, when you're telling a different story, there's more going on than just... just I think as to, humans, we like, really just desire things to be very easy to interpret that's why children's stories even as adults are really appealing because everything is like so black and white like this person is so evil and this person is so good and we just really really want that when in fact life is just shades of shades of gray like nobody is a hundred percent correct unless they're me and i'm correct all the time um <laughs> No, you're thinking of uh, Jeremy Baramy. He's the only uh, one who's 100% correct. Do you know what well, I'm Tuesdays and sometimes never. The Good yes, Place? Have you from seen the that? Good Place. I watched it like four times. That's why I said okay. it's Tuesdays and sometimes never, because that's the dot oh. over the eye. Well, you watch it more than me, and that's why you quoted something I didn't understand. I would highly recommend it to everyone. It's a very interesting interpretation of the afterlife um, and philosophy in general. Um Speaking of the afterlife, which is a bizarrely great segue to my next thing I want to talk about. Um, he mentions that human beings, we are obsessed with immortality, uh, which is 
like as Christians, we don't think about it. I think we are still obsessed about it in a human way, but I don't think we think about it as much of as a concrete way because to us, we live we live past our life on Earth, so it's not so hard for us to like desperately want immortality. But it is such a human thing to want to leave something behind like the whole theme of Hamilton in the musical Hamilton is he keeps talking about his legacy and how it's something that he'll never see and he's planting gardens like like he's planting seeds in a garden like he wants to leave something behind and like I've done that my boss before I got this job asked me what I wanted for my career and I just said I want to get up every morning knowing what I do matters because to me, I'm leaving something behind. Like, what I do matters to the planet, and that means I've made an impact. And for some people, it's their kids. And for others, it's their job or making laws or something. And it's just, like, like so crazy <laughs> to think about, like, us as humans. We want to leave something behind, and that environmental extremism is the same kind of, like, immortality. They throw their whole selves into trying to save the planet, which is great. Um, but, but they also scare people at the same time. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the focus just gets into, he talks about how like death is scary for everyone, you know, and like the idea of the planet dying and therefore everyone dying is like one of the greatest. <laughs> if you can't handle the thought of debt, death and that one's going to pretty much pull you into the yeah it's just gonna because well because he's talking about it in terms of like anxiety so he's like perhaps it's a coincidence but it's a noticeable that the spike in environmental alarmism comes at a time when anxiety depression and suicide are all rising within the general population especially among adolescents in both the united states and europe um and then he goes on to say because addressing our personal lives is painful and difficult, suggests Becker, we often look for external demons to conquer, and doing so makes us feel heroic and creates a feeling of immortality through recognition, validation, and we love receiving, and love we receive, we receive from others. So that's like, it goes right into what I was saying, where I was like, I just want to know what I do every day matters, and that is validation. Like, something that I do matters to me and someone else externally. Yeah. I mean, for some people, it seems like, I think even in the Bible, you see this idea, like that's how we live on is by leaving a mark. And that's why you have all these genealogies and people being called so-and-so the son of so-and-so the son of so-and-so, you know, like somebody back in the day wanted their, their name to live on through their descendants, through their children. And so there's always kind of been that edge of like wanting to live forever. I think that's the beauty, like you were saying, though, of of the gospel is the offering from God. I Here's the solution. You can live forever. Just follow me and give your life to my cause. Whereas right. everything else can't conquer death. It can't survive that. And it will die and be done away with. So you can have the gospel and therefore receive immortality by giving your life to that cause, or you can have death where everything else ends eventually, you know, um, right. only, only Jesus has conquered that. So with that being said, it, 
uh, it's part of the reason you do see a stark difference, I think, in um, some Christian funerals. Uh, there's grieving. It, it depends where you go. You go to some funerals in the faith and like we're all grieving appropriately in different or, you know, the ways that are appropriate to us, which varies across a lot of different races. Um, but then you go to some funerals and it's just like everybody's like celebrating and you're like, what is going on? You know, like and that that's even hard for me to, to consider that a celebration. Um, it tends to not be the funeral riffic kind of flair I throw into funeral services. Uh, but like the fact that anybody could get to that point <laughs> is because they right. know like this life was not the end of our story. They've now gone from glory to glory and will continue to go from the glory that they're currently in to the resurrection glory ahead of them. So Paul's statement of we go right. from glory to glory. Right. So, that that's a different worldview and it changes your view of death and can also affect it in negative ways. Like we've said too, where this life matters so little and this planet matters so little that now you're not doing right. your job. We don't want to fall care. into that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, and it, I've noticed like when I think, and I say this stuff a lot, there is like a real balance of like saying like, Oh, well, this is wrong, but actually, like, we really have to, like I said, it's shades of gray. There is a balance. Like, we can't say that it doesn't matter because it does matter. But, like, we can't. I also don't want to be like, climate change isn't a problem because it is a problem. Like, so yep. it's such a, yeah. I think balance is one of the key theological words that I've always hung on to since college was. I don't know. People fight about the weirdest things to me. Is it predestination or is it is it free will? And I'm like, I gotta choose one. I can't like find a balance between these two. You know, it's like I see that in most issues. It's like don't just toss something out the window. You gotta figure out in the faith how things fit on the scale, I guess. Right. Um, and then for my last thing, just one more thing. I, there's this quote, and every time I read it, I go, I need to ask you about this, because I don't know what it means. Um, and I know this is insane, because it's in a book about science and environmentalism, but he says here, there's a strain of environmental, of the environmental movement that is Calvinistic, in a sense that the world is evil. Oh, no. That the world is an evil place, and it would be better if it were destroyed and turned back over to the natural kingdom. Now, what is what what is Calvinistic? Like, is they talking about like John Calvin? Yeah, the way that he's referring it to there is more of an analogy of uh, human depravity. Is that we are evil to our core? Everything about us is wrong. We are just fully bent on sin at all times. There's nothing we can do uh, to make ourselves better. Only, you know, like it's just everything is negative. The worst. So. The way in which he's referring to it there. Read it one more time. Um, oh, no. My uh, brain. Okay. Uh, it says, there's a strain of the environmental movement that is Calvinistic in a sense that the world is an evil place and it would be better if it were destroyed and turned back over to the natural kingdom. 
I guess it depends on what he means by the world, but his idea is that something is so depraved that it needs to be removed to let the world be better. Is he talking about us, I imagine? Like, uh, Yeah, like like the human beings are in a okay. sense like So we're so evil. Yeah. yeah, We can't get it right. We'll never get it right. We can't even try to get it right. And so we'd be better for the planet if we just didn't exist. Which would then be ironic if you're trying to fix the planet so that we can exist. <laughs> but, you know. I like this. Please keep. No. But I, I think that's the direction he means to go by with it. Yeah. Um, and, like, I, that's mostly everything I wanted to say. It's just, there's a lot to talk about, but this chapter in particular I really wanted to cover. Um and at the end of the chapter, he talks about how we just do these things. He's like, well, the last, literally last sense of the books is nobody saves mountain gorillas, yellow-eyed penguins, and sea turtles because they believe human civilization depends on it. We save them for a simple reason. We love them. Which is inherently true. Like, I love the woods, and I absolutely would not be doing the things I do if I didn't love it so much. I, I, I love lamp. I love lamp. <laughs> Are you just saying that you love lamp? Love lamp. You? <laughs> We're old, everyone. Old. We've definitely just aged this podcast. The toilet store. <laughs> How old are we, everyone? We've mentioned the good place, uh, God of War, and Anchorman. Leave your leave your thoughts below. Tried it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, someone in my D and D game last night mentioned Homestar Runner, and we couldn't come out of it for like twenty minutes. So that's Anyways. how you derail a session. Anyway, yeah. Well, I think we're probably at the end, so it's okay for us to derail now. <laughs> we are it's towards the end. It does kind of go off the rails at the end because we're like, excellent, we have covered everything that is possible. Now <laughs> let us talk about kittens. <laughs> that's right, uh, but I think you ended on a good place. Uh, the good place. Yeah. Love, you know, that's why we're here anyways. God is love. Love is God. We're made in his image. And so if we are to have dominion over the earth, we should be taking care of it in love uh, nonetheless. So um, with that being said, you can discuss this further with us on our Discord. Just go to jacksoncloud.com. That's J-X-N cloud.com and then click the discord button uh we've got someone in there who's reading the book that we just mentioned apocalypse never by michael schellenberger uh he's left a few comments and aaron's been talking with him which she knows a lot more about what to say i was say really excited do, about so. it uh to be honest <laughs> yeah it made me really happy uh, he's only six percent of the way through and i completely understand his thoughts and feelings mm. because of the same thoughts and feelings i had six percent of the way through the book so I'm really excited uh, to see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, and this this isn't like a Christian book or anything, but uh, it's it's been helpful to our thinking of a lot of things. And, mm -hmm. and Aaron, too, is an environmental scientist, if you're just tuning in live on Facebook. So she's the one who understands a lot of these topics better. And if she gives the book an endorsement along with the thousands of others who did, then it's well worth the... Uh, a listen in my book. This is this is what I do as a pastor and not a scientist. When people are like, "What do you think about this science thing or this science thing?" Like, 
ask a scientist. <laughs> and that's yes. what the air environment is. We're asking the uh, scientists. <laughs> our conversations are, Aaron, what is the science concept? Jamin, I don't understand this Bible thing. And that's it. That's all we talk about. <laughs> and that's how we work back and forth in our fields. <laughs> All right. Well, with that being said, we'll catch up with you guys next time around the Discord. In the meantime, Aaron, have a safe trip back to Michigan. Yes, we'll and, see you in uh, soon. My wife will probably kidnap you so you can't go back home, so prepare for that. That's fine. I'll just bring an extra suitcase so she can fly back with me. Sounds good. Wait, hang on. She's travel size. I will pack her. You cannot take my wife with you. I need her. <laughs> can't leave me here with the children alone! <laughs> <laughs>